Hey, this is Tommy Wiseau, and you're listening to Cinesnap broadcast and podcast and whatever you call it. Hopefully, you enjoy it. Again, this is Tommy Wiseau. Give support, these guys. They need you. They are good people. Bye. <laughs> 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 I wanted you. That was the first time you heard that, Kiko, and I wanted you to hear it oh, totally live. Oh my god, that's awesome! <laughs> hey, this Sin is Not podcast is brought to you by Alamo Draft House. Three locations in San Antonio, one in New Braunfels, which I actually went to yesterday. Ooh, it's uh, in the uh, Marketplace Shopping Center, right off Thirty Five. I had some time, so I decided to take a field trip up there to see Ex Machina, uh, which we'll talk about a little later in the show. It looks uh, small from the outside, but you go in and it's really, it's really, really neat. Right in the lobby, I just posted a picture of it on uh, Instagram and Facebook today. Uh, they have a uh, T eight hundred endoskeleton. You know the Arnold Terminator. Mm-hmm. You look like oh, you very know. cool. And is it they, what is it like a like a so model? No, it's a full size. Well, I mean, I don't know what what it's from, but it's a full size. Made out of like metal. I, I guess oh, I you didn't touch it. Well, it's it's explicitly says not to touch it. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have a big. Uh, they have a T uh, a T three Rise of the Machines Hindi like billboard banner mm-hmm. in the lobby. That's sweet. And they have a don't they have a, a bar attached to it? Yeah, uh, the glass half full, I believe. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to go in the bar because I, I had to get back to San Antonio. But uh, but yeah, it's very nice up there, and it's very quiet right off the. Even though you're right on 35, it's uh, a little outdoor patio area there on the bar. So cool. Anyway, let's start the show. In a world filled with movie podcasts, three critics from the juggernaut media market of San Antonio decided to change the entire course of the internet. A feat attempted by many and conquered by many. To produce a relatively listenable podcast, devastating truth bombs. Brace yourselves, guys. The Muppets are puppets. You know that, right? <laughs> no! Wait! Okay. Okay. No. They're puppets. Go ruin it! And <laughs> Muppets are puppets. <laughs> Hard facts. Yeah, not Kevin Feige or Feig, whatever, it's but Feig. Uh, I think it's Feige. Is it really? I have no idea. <laughs> Asking the important questions. What is that? What, what was that that I just saw right now? It was like a fat Iron Man. That's it's a Hulkbuster. Hulkbuster armor. That's, that's, that's how a he fights fat the Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Cine Snob Podcast. So what'd you think? What'd you think of our Tommy intro? Pico. Oh, it was hilarious! What I if mean, what it, if what if I told you there's a there's a better one? Oh yeah. Well, I don't. It's better in that it's not doesn't have a mistake in it. But I think the the first one is kind of originally Tommy Wiseau. I don't know. I think the second one is more bizarre. Well, it, let's uh, let's uh, go ahead and play it right now if you can. You got it queued up. All right, the second one. Yeah. All right, this is the other one. This is my favorite. Hey, this is Tommy Wiseau, and you're listening to Snob Podcast. Have a groovy time. Enjoy it, okay? It's not for eating, just for listening, for God's sake. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I, I like the first one because it's a little more honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one, Tommy was, like, turned on. Right. So, anyway. How we, could you tell? Not turned on <laughs> like, like that, but, uh, but, like, he leans into the weirdness. Now. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's uh, get this out of the way. It's welcome to episode forty-four of the Cinema Snob Podcast. I'm Jerry Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania, and I'm Kiko Martinez. So uh, that was recorded uh, when I went to L.A. this past week, um, and I got to interview Tommy Wiseau. 
Uh, you can see it on Cinesnob.net, and we've also released a podcast version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, guys, did you watch, uh, listen, watch to the Yeah, the I, I watched the whole thing. What'd you think of Tommy Wiseau? Man. Director, writer, producer, star of The Room. Yeah. It's bizarre. It's a bizarre interview. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't expect anything less, but uh, yeah, it's... Uh, he's very... I, I love that he is like always de- on the defensive, like no matter what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and he, I love that tick he has of, um, of, of, of telling you how you're wrong and then going, but it's your interview. Next question. <laughs> he did that to me so many times. Yeah. And, and, and then he would, he would answer me and then he, I would try to move on to the next question. Mm-hmm. He would stop me and say, well, I need to answer your question. Yeah. Like, all right, sure. Uh, but he, yeah, he was really defensive, uh, with me at first. Um, cause we're setting up, we shot this in downtown LA at my friend's apartment. Um, and we were setting up and just making small talk. He's there with his assistant, um, just making small talk, adjusting cameras. So I go, hey, how long did it take you to get here? Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, uh, not long. I said, oh, so where are you coming from? He's like, I know what you want. <laughs> you want to know where I live? I said, no, I don't care. <laughs> I'm just making small talk. Uh, so there was a lot of that. Um, but then by the end. <laughs> God, are you serious? Was he serious? Yeah, he's yeah. dead serious. No, yeah. I, and, um, but by the end of it, he had really warmed up to me. And uh, when he found out I worked for some TV stations, he was really pitching uh, his show, Neighbors, the Neighbors, hardcore to me. And it's so interesting, his perspective on distribution of things. Mm-hmm. Like he has a distribution deal for this sitcom, which is very much like The Room, if you've seen The Room. And uh, it's weird and it's kind of... This is I, th- you know, this is where he's purposely making something weird and bad. Yeah. As opposed to the room, even though he says the room is intentionally bad. No, <laughs> I don't buy that for a second. No, but whatever. He's made he's it's made him richer, I guess, and it's more famous. So anyway, he he was able to secure a distribution deal for this sitcom on Hulu. But are you, see, wait, are you serious? Yeah. He sees no value in that though. Like he wants this on broadcast television. Even if it's local affiliates broadcasting it at you know twelve thirty at night. Oh, so he doesn't think the Hulu deal is anything. That's There's weird. No prestige yeah. in it for yeah. him. Yeah, which is a very interesting <clears throat> perspective. And I asked him in the interview also about you know if he released the room today, would he would he see the value in doing it on VOD or whatever? Because you know when the when the room was released, there was no real VOD market, right? Uh, so it played uh, in a theater that he had booked. How long was it? It was a, like months of time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we read it's all in the Greg Sestero book, um, and Greg was Greg was helpful. I emailed Greg before this interview, uh, just to just to say, hey, what should I ask him? What should I avoid? You know, set him off. Um, and then he was he told me, you know, you know, he really values the connection uh, that he sees that Greg, that Tommy sees between a streetcar named Desire and the room. Um, <laughs> And look, whether or not you uh, you like the room or you recognize that, uh, I mean, it's a look. It's a bad movie, and uh, for for Tommy's part, he claims that he created it to be a bad movie, mm-hmm. which, like Cody said, I don't necessarily believe. But um, there is a real passion to it. Like it's not a like it's a bad movie, but there's real 
like like he was true. trying to make that's probably why it's hard to believe that it was he was trying to make it bad because you yeah. can see that there's something behind it yeah where, i mean he just doesn't have the chops for it you know right um but there is a real you know appreciation for filmmaking because it is you know whether or not it's uh well like a, a you know the movie is good it's at least semi well put together better than some stuff I've seen. Well, I mean, look, I don't know about that. Well, because his editing, we, you read about it in the book, like there's no shots left out of this movie except yeah. stuff that was reshot, which is but incredibly also, crazy. But it's also not well made. I mean, like the the, the issues with like the green screen are well documented. Oh, the yeah. sets, it's, well, it right. looks, it looks terrible. Well, right, but it, it, there's at least um, it's like an it was an earnest attempt at filmmaking, no matter what. Yeah. So anyway, it was a, it was a very very interesting interview. Uh, it came at the heels of uh, the Rift Tracks interview I did the week before, mm-hmm. um, and the, the guys from Rift Tracks were really nice, and they uh, they loved the interview I did, and they sent me uh, a message on Twitter asking if I want to interview Tommy, and I said, "Fuck yes, I want to interview Tommy," and it fell together that uh, I was going to be in L.A. the same time he was going to be available for interviews. So um, that's awesome. I, I still, I'm still a little shocked that Hulu picked something like that up. I mean, is it was is it just like a gimmick thing, or I mean, I mean, yeah. I know it has a huge yeah. following, um, but I mean, if it's, be, is it like a parody? I don't, I don't well, get look, it. Look, it's like um, the Tim and Eric stuff. Okay, um, yeah, then the, this sort of almost performance art, right? Weirdness, and since it's, uh, you know, since he's realized, since Tommy's realized that the room, people only embrace the room because it's bad. Uh, because it's so f- weird and strange that he decided to to try to replicate that formula. And I don't know that it's... it's a, I mean, I've only watched about half of one episode, frankly, the first episode. And it's intentionally bad and weird in a way you can kind of sense. Mm-hmm. He uh, stars He stars in it? Mm-hmm, okay. plays two roles in it. Ah. Uh, a man and a woman? No. Like <laughs> a guy that looks like him and then like a blonde like football player... Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you know, but it's perfect for like an online distribution thing or Adult Swim. I think he was talking about Adult Swim maybe picking up neighbors for a brief oh, run. Man, it just seems like if it doesn't work out, he's just going to be devastated. Well, maybe one of those guys is just like. Well, but I, I mean, it is working out. I mean, a distribution deal with Hulu. Yeah, I know, but not everything. Well, maybe with Hulu, I mean, they have a little bit. I mean, if you if it got on TV and then it got canceled, that's what oh, I'm saying. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but he doesn't value the Hulu experience. That's crazy. Cause like I any mean, kind of normal filmmaker would, you know, in 2015. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't see it as a as a step down. You'd see it as holy shit, somebody's distributing my distributing my stuff. But that's Tommy Wiseau for you. Anyway. Um, Thanks again to the Rift Tracks guys. I love how he pronounces his last name different every time. Like, there's no <laughs> consistency with it. <laughs> That's what I noticed, too. Tommy Wiseau. 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 I keep saying Wiseau, but he said, but it's, I think it's Wiseau. Yeah, but even in then, he was like Tommy Wiseau. Like, yeah. I don't, it's weird. He's weird. I, yeah, and he, he knows it. I mean, you should have seen the way he was dressed. He was wearing. A, I did. It was, there was a video of it. Oh yeah, that's right. Well, you couldn't see his belts though. He was wearing oh, three. Was he... he was wearing three belts. <laughs> like my friend. Norm, three belts at the same time. Yeah, not like in the loops, but like uh, uh-huh. Michael Jackson style, like descending down his. Oh my his... 
<laughs> like, like he had to he had to move one of them to walk comfortably. Oh, and the best part that didn't get recorded. Um, my friend's apartment in L.A. Uh, him and his husband have two big boxers. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you think Tommy said when he walked in and saw the dogs? Oh, hi, doggy. Yep, a bunch of times. <laughs> I was like, shit, this is awesome. Uh, so you know, he was really he was actually very very nice. Uh, once once we got past the initial. Yeah, because he thinks I think he thinks every reporter's out to get him. Yeah, um, as if they care at all. Well, and is it like like look, you're he embraces the weirdness now, you right. know. So it's not like it's you know ten years ago when he was being earnest about this and you know literally still thinking that the reason to to play the room in theaters was to be eligible for the Academy Awards, right? Uh, so yeah, he thought I was out to get him at first, and he hugged me at the end. It was nice. Aww. It was very nice. Aww. Yeah. Sweet. So thanks again, uh, thanks again to uh, the Rift Tracks guys, Jeff Witten in particular. Uh, thanks to uh, my friend Jonathan for lending us his apartment. My friend Norm for shooting it, and Tommy for actually uh, showing up on time. To- well, he's about fifteen minutes late. Uh, you said it was like going to be four hours. Well, yeah, because every day on <laughs> every day on the room when they shot it, he was four hours late. Yeah, no, he was. We were supposed to meet at two. He was there about two fifteen. So it's not bad. It's all good. Cool. Anyway. Uh, so, uh, another event that happened this week, uh, we had a screening. You had, we had two, two screenings that were hosted by us at Alamo Draft House. First yeah. one was you solo, Cody. Yeah. What was that one? The San Antonio Filmmakers Showcase. Um, they showed, uh, 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 The Adventures of Pepper and Paula, the Kevin and Robin Nations movie, and then a short film by Sam Lerma called Squeezebox. And then it was also a fundraiser for Sam's, uh, Harlandale High School. Um, they have a film school there. And so there were some student films that played beforehand, too. And so that was pretty cool. It was a good event. It was um, it was a good crowd. And uh, yeah, it went pretty well. I hadn't, I hadn't singularly hosted something in a while. So it was a, there was a bit of a learning curve. But yeah. Did the, did the older kids make fun of you? Those high school kids pick on you? Yeah. They're like, hey, middle schooler. What are you doing here? You had to go back to middle school. Yeah. Uh, Big jerks. <laughs> so then the next one uh, uh, we did uh, this past Wednesday, I got off a flight and drove to the friggin' theater because it was so late. But it was an awesome screening of yeah. The Last Dragon, mm-hmm. a movie I had actually never seen before. Have you seen The Last Dragon, Kiko? Maybe 15 years ago. It was uh, – it's, it's a 1985, like – Motown martial arts black exploitation like it's it's the weirdest blend dude i and we had a star timok was in attendance mm-hmm. um who the audience went crazy for yeah that Those was were... that reaction was insane like uh you know when we brought him out and then especially in the q and a like like what like 20 or 30 people had their phones on that they were like recording and oh, so yeah. there were like uh, flashes from lights everywhere it was <laughs> it was really loud it was crazy well cuz we we introduced the film um at the beginning and then we brought him down just to say a few words mm-hmm. and i mean like on the way back it was it's like you're watching a, an nba player exit the arena just yeah. the, the lineup of high fives um and then watching the movie i'd never seen it like i said and it gets to about twenty minutes in, and Vanity, you know, singer from the eighties, mm-hmm. is like a host of a video show. Yeah, and she introduces a Debarge video. Yeah, 
And I look over and you're like, what the fuck is happening in this movie? This is a this is a martial arts movie and it breaks for like seven minutes. It shows of music. a full music video. Yeah. And that's and I think that and I think that was like the debut of it or something. Like yeah. like Motown used it as a promotional tool for a lot of these like a lot of music in it. It's yeah. it's very weird. <laughs> um and it's like super racist. Like <laughs> there's so many racial jokes happening in this movie. Yeah. Uh the But in a fun way. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like and I love I don't know about the rest of you, but I love uh, 1980s New York in movies. Yeah. Like the Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. Like, I know it was a cesspool of crime and shit, but it's just so endearing to me. Yeah. It's like, you know, hey, what the fuck? It's a, man, it's a really fun movie to watch. Uh, Yeah, the end is uh, full of some great, terrible 80s special effects. (laughs) Yeah. But then, like you said, the Q&A afterward, we introduced Timok again. And his reaction was incredibly emotional to the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like the the crowd was going crazy, and uh, and so the first question, I mean, it was a it was a really prolonged reception. And then my first question to him was basically like, "Hey, we're thirty years later, and you know we have a sold out crowd. Everyone's here. That they're cheering for you. They're super rabid. How does that feel thirty years later to be here?" And then. Pfft, started crying waterworks yeah wow and he like couldn't get it together for a couple minutes like, yeah it was he was very uh very moved by Damn, we the got reception. a diane sawyer on our hands i here. know cody look at him and i, I, I think uh, uh and it, he spoke about this a few times like he has been kind of out of the spotlight for a few years uh, yeah like he hadn't done anything and now he's kind of re-emerging I, you see that happen every now and then on the like the convention circuit mm-hmm. and things like this where guys don't really you know they don't embrace their old work, but then they finally realize that there's a fan base out there for it. Uh, yeah, and and the one sentiment you saw from everyone there was just like you were a huge part of my childhood. Like I grew that's up. That's another thing. It. I can't believe I this movie flew under my radar. Yeah, because in 1985, that's when you were actually into stuff. I mean, this is perfect. Yeah. Like you know. This would have been like a perfect companion piece with Karate Kid. Right. And my friends knew about it. I don't know how I missed it. Yeah, so, it flew under my radar too. So, so uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, I mean, people were uh, lined up for a while. People were he, – he had his booth set up outside. He was signing autographs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like people were doing that in the middle of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, people would, people would stop watching the movie, go outside and get stuff signed or take pictures and stuff like that. So. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. That was a that was a big surprise for a screening for me. Yeah, and it was totally sold out. Yeah, and um, a very I, I always love when when you have like a crowd who's actively participating in the movie. Yeah. So like yelling lines and stuff like that, and and, and it, it was a draft house that set up him to come down, right? Yeah. So hopefully we'll be able to do more of those where they bring uh, bring in a yeah, actor. This was the second one in the row uh, in a row that they've brought an actor down and we've been hosting it so hopefully that trend will continue cuz we really enjoy doing it. Yeah. No it's um and especially like stuff like this that I got you get to kind of redis- like not rediscover but discover for the first time. Yeah. You know. And I mean the Greg Sestero one was great too cuz it just it was so insightful. Yeah. To the process of this this movie that's just sort of an enigma floating out there. It was a great time. Thanks again, Draft House, for asking us to host it. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and move on to news. It's time for the Real Rundown, recapping this week in movie news. Hey, did you see that Joker picture? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jared Leto 
uh, as the Joker in the Suicide Squad, directed by uh, um, David Ayer. Yeah, thank you. Uh, they've been teasing the look for a few weeks now, mm-hmm. and finally, uh, was it Thursday, Friday? Uh, I think it was Friday. Friday, they finally released a full-on picture um, done in a homage to uh, the Killing Joke, uh, a famous comic book with the Joker. Um, and the internet reaction has been mixed. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, you know, if you haven't seen it, you all you have to do is Google Jared Little Joker. But it's basically um, he's really he's got a lot of tattoos. I, and I, I saw, I've seen it referred to a lot as prison tattoos. That, that's that's kind of the biggest issue that I've ha- seen people have with it is they're very Joker tattoos. Yeah, and there's a bunch of ha 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 ha's. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of people. I've seen a lot of people complain that it's very uh, hot topicy. <laughs> yeah, uh, and on his forehead, he has tattooed "damaged." Yeah, but I mean, uh, and like a smile on his arm, and I don't know. It's it's weird. I mean, uh, it seems like it's too on the nose. It seems like uh, I don't know. I mean, no, I know what they're it, going for. I mean, it's going to be his own take. People are going to be, you know, comparing it to everything else that's come before. Well, I mean, you know, the Heath Ledger thing had to deal with the Jack Nicholson comparison. Right. And now, I think Heath Ledger is the standard bearer. But this is a different universe. Right. Um, but it's going to get it even more. And I mean, I guess uh, <laughs> it seems a little strange to call something about the character of the Joker on the nose because he pretty much is on the nose. Right. And we should say also that our comic book knowledge is not, you know, strong. So if this is, I mean, if this is like a blatant reference to something, it might. F- I don't believe it is. Okay. Um, my my knowledge is a little stronger than the two of yours. What is what blatant? Um, like that, like his, like his, like I mean, it's supposed his to be, look. Yeah, it's supposed to be based on the Killing Joke. You're right about that, but because he, I mean, the picture is almost exactly like it. But um, I just know that there's a more psychotic version of the Joker out there, so I'm guessing that this is what it is. I don't know. It's it's always. Do you realize how many? Like the the big three jokers are really prestigious actors, or at least have Academy Award nominations or awards by the time they play the Joker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so strange, isn't it? I did you see some of the photoshopping going on? Yeah, uh, the Home Alone. one. The Home Alone one was the best one. Did you see that one, Kiko? <laughs> no, I didn't. I'll pull it up on my phone. <laughs> um, I don't have a problem with it at all. I mean, I don't. Uh, I don't really. I'm not. I don't have excitement for this Suicide Squad movie just because I don't really know anything about it. It does seem kind of the most interesting of the upcoming DC projects. Because it's all bad guys, right? Yeah, and it has a uh, a great cast with a. <laughs> it has a great cast with a, you know, a, a proven director. Who did they ever replace Tom Hardy? I don't remember. Yeah, they replaced him with. Uh, uh, damn it, uh, Joel Kinnaman. Okay. For um, what? For Bane? No, no. What are you talking what about? The hell? Where are you? <laughs> well, yeah, he Tom Hardy did play Bane in a Batman movie, but this would be a totally different universe. I know you hate that shit, but that's how it war- that's how it rolls. So, what's Tom Hardy playing, or what was he, he going to play? I don't know. I don't. I don't he was going to play um, someone in the Suicide Squad. Rick uh, Flag. Yeah. Look, I don't know anything about the Suicide Squad, frankly. So, I have no no bearing on this whatsoever. Okay. But well, the, just the I guess we're talking about the Joker himself and how he looked and I mean, I'm always going to be a Jack Nicholson fan even though Heath Ledger's going to be remembered for that role. 
I just like what Jack did. I like his teeth. Yeah, the, the caps. You like the yeah. grill? Yeah. It's not a grill. <laughs> a grill is a separate piece that you wear in your mouth. Those are capped teeth. I've already had to explain this to like five people. It would have been grill. funnier if it was a grill. <laughs> Why would it be funnier? I don't know. Because you could take it in and out and it would be more gangster. <laughs> well, it's gangster. It's not gangster squad. It's suicide squad. Oh, good, good point, Cody. Good point, Cody. I don't know. I think I. You know what? I talked about this a lot um, when I found out what they were doing. Like they were going to do the Joker, and when he was first cast, he has such like a, a, a huge mountain to climb because at first he has to either live up to or at least be on the same level as Heath Ledger's Joker, and then he has to have his performance looked at for what it is, because he's got to get out of the shadow of it, and it's going to be so hard, because you're you're looking at what's often regarded to, and probably fairly regarded to, as maybe the best movie villain of all time, at least in, I mean, at the very least in comic book movies, but, but really one of the best cinematic villains we've ever seen, and, you know, it's it, we're not that far removed from it. Yeah. So there's a huge shadow for him to claw out of in order to even be seen as his own thing. Because it's going to be impossible for people not to say, well, it's not as good as Heath Ledger's. Uh, yeah, but I, you, you always hear that. But I don't know. I don't know if that really ultimately makes a difference. Especially since since you're staking a claim as it being something totally different from the get-go. I, I, underst- I, and I, I understand that. But I think that when you're talking about something that's seen as like a legendary performance... It's a little bit different than, you know, hey, somebody played this. I mean, a lot of people thought that about Heath Ledger, too. I mean, you can look at, there are all kinds of memes on the internet that talk about, uh, the, it was a lot of the comparison of Ben Affleck, Ben Affleck to Heath Ledger. And it, and it helps for Heath Ledger's legendary status that he died. I, I, but I think that it extends further beyond just like, oh, Jared Leto as a Joker. I, think, I just think we're talking about an iteration of the character is going to be difficult. Not not for Jared Leto in particular. I have no doubt that he can play a part. I mean, he's an Oscar-winning actor, but um, it's more of like a, an iteration, a version of the character not being as good as... Yeah, I think one. people are going to have a problem with that. But, I mean, I don't know enough about this specific version of the Joker to make a, you know, well, intelligent statement about what we're about to see. Um, well, we're not... We don't really know anything yet about what's happening going forward. All yeah. we have is Man of Steel to work off of. Uh, so we have no real feel of what this universe is going to be like. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's successful, maybe it isn't. But I don't think that there's a an, an, a major problem with with having it, you know, redoing the take. Because I mean, you got to you got to move on, and I think everybody acknowledges that. I mean, you know, nobody's uh, nobody's still lamenting the fact that Tobey Maguire is not playing Spider Man anymore. You know, even though those takes were at least as far as we've gotten the definitive takes on the character. Mm-hmm. So I think that we're, I think maybe if this was 10 years ago, um, it was, you know, maybe that'd be the case, but we've, we've, we've grown into this superhero thing. So, uh, you're writing me love notes, Cody. And then you I know. It out. No, no. Anyway, yeah. I had to acknowledge that cause it was very weird. Well, so. I had, I had an idea for something else we could talk about, but, Okay. I don't. It's probably not a. Problem. I like how you use air quotes right now. I'm on a podcast. Did I? That was kind of funny. I don't remember moving my hands. Did you say definitive? Anyone like oh. that? Oh. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think that we're we're far enough into this superhero thing 
that we as a public know that it's going to be different every five years or something, whatever it takes. Like it's going to, you know, we're going to get a new Batman. We're going to get a new Superman. That's just my opinion. So. And we can't wait for it. What? The Joker? Just the different takes. You can. The different takes. Oh. Every five years. You would have Jack Nicholson play the role still, right? Until he was in his deathbed. (laughs) Old Joker. Yeah, Yeah, do it. Batman. Batman. (laughs) It's pretty good Nicholson. (laughs) It's an award winner. Award winning performance (laughs) right there. All right, that's going to do it for news. Let's move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we've got Ex Machina. Did you program her to flirt with me? If I did, would that be cheating? Wouldn't it? Caleb, what's your type? Of girl? No, of salad dressing. Yeah, of girl. What's your type of girl? You know what? Don't even answer that. Let's say it's black chicks. Okay? That's your thing. For the sake of argument, that's your thing. Okay? Why is that your thing? Because you did a detailed analysis of all racial types and you cross-referenced that analysis with a points-based system? No. You're just attracted to black chicks. A consequence of accumulated external stimuli that you probably didn't even register as they registered with you. Did you program her to like me or not? I programmed her to be heterosexual. Just like you were programmed to be heterosexual. Nobody programmed me to be straight. You decided to be straight? Please, of course you were programmed. By nature or nurture or both. And to be honest, Caleb, you're starting to annoy me now because this is your insecurity talking. This is not your intellect. A young programmer is selected to participate in a breakthrough experiment in artificial intelligence by evaluating the human qualities of a breathtaking female AI. Mm -hmm. Cody, you wrote the review. I did. Why don't you start? And I should I should probably preface it with saying this review was based on um, seeing it at South by Southwest. I'm never supposed to do that. What? Oh, I know. Uh, and um, and so when I wrote the review, my memory of it was of South by Southwest. And so I recently saw the movie again yesterday. And I will say I cooled a little bit on it. Um, I still think it's good. Um, but my review may not be 100% how I feel now. But... Um, yeah, it's uh, you know, I I've always said that the best kind of sci-fi movies for me personally are really intimate sci-fi movies, stuff that's character-based, character-driven, um, but but yet has a really big idea or uh, you know, uh, it's um, what, what would you call it a, a like a high concept, right? Um, high concept. I like using the word intimate, like yeah. something like Moon. Yeah, like, I always go back to Moon yeah. with the most recent kind of stuff. Yeah, I think I think Moon for me is like the best sci-fi movie of the last like ten years. Like I love Moon. Uh, Another Earth is really good too. Mm-hmm. Even a movie that Alex Garland wrote, Sunshine, right. another great intimate sci-fi movie. Even for the like half hour, it gets super weird and monster and monster <laughs> zombie. But um. But those are the kind of sci-fi movies, and, and Ex Machina is definitely in that vein, um, where it's it's super intimate, you know, very character-driven in the fact that there's only you know three main actors for most of the movie, um, and uh, you know it's you know as a sci-fi movie, first of all, the production design is amazing. Mm-hmm. I love the the look that it has, especially when it's it's a self-contained, like limited set. Everything looks amazing. Um, 
and essentially what we have is a uh, is a, is an artificial intelligence Turing test, which is to test and see if the person who is interacting with the AI knows that they're interacting with uh, a computer or a robot or whatever it may be. Um, and I think you know the main thing to to point out in this film is that Oscar Isaac is amazing. I mean, he's just he's just on this hot streak right now of performances where he's becoming, you know, along with someone like maybe Michael Fassbender is like the most consistently good uh, actors working right now. Um, and it's just a great performance. It's one of those performances that's like super charismatic, um, funny, funny, s- sardonic, witty. Yeah. And, um, and I know you interviewed him briefly at South by Southwest and he credits it to the writing, but you know, it's, it's beyond the writing. It's a really, it's a really good performance. Yeah. I mean, I don't get Alex Garland does a great job with the, the story. And uh, this is his directorial debut. Uh, you mentioned sunshine. He did sunshine. He wrote 28 days later, which is probably the best out of those two movies. Um, I was going to say of the series, but <laughs> I was going to say of the series, but I realized that there wasn't a third one. So, um, yeah, he. Uh, uh, so Alex Garland's, uh, you know, his. Th- this, every time I'm, every time I look see a, a sci-fi movie, I think another good uh, uh, adjective to use, uh, other than you know, intimate, you know, is unique. You need, I, I always want to see something that I really haven't seen before. And, and you know, there's been AI movies and there's been robot movies and stuff, but he takes it to another level. I think, or not to another level, but he at least gives us something a little bit new on a different level. Um, with this one, and I, I think Oscar Isaac uh, knocks it out of the park in, in terms of his character, uh, Dom Hall. Dom Hall is that how you pronounce it. Dom Hall. Gleason. I thought it was Dom Hall. But... I think it's Dom Hall. Oh, I keep on putting the H instead of Hall. It's Nall. Dom Hall. Silent H. Um. Yeah. Uh. He 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 holds his own too. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think he's. I think he's equally not equally as good, but he's. Uh, he definitely holds his own. Uh, and then Alicia is a Vikander. Vikander, Vikander. Yeah. She uh, she does a great job too. Is this? Uh, and you never know that we'll see. What I liked about her too is you never know, especially towards the end. You never know where, she, uh, without spoiling it too much, you never know where she's at in terms of her character. So I really enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, it all comes down. I think uh, to the writing's really strong. I think uh, Oscar Isaac uh, does a great job. I mean, you mentioned his hot streak. He did uh inside lewin davis which is the best performance of the three yeah um and then uh, of course the most violent year and now this um, are you looking forward to him in uh, the force awakens again I'm and, and domino gleason's yeah. in that too yeah i think so i mean i'm not you know i'm not a huge star wars person but um but with your boyfriend in it heck yeah baby <laughs> um so i can even uh you know he's don't, don't get me wrong he's been in some crappy movies in the past um Specifically, that one with the four girls, or yeah, what was it called? I don't know. What's that? The real CGI heavy one that I hated. I don't know. He plays a bad guy. Oh, Oh, uh, sucker punch! Sucker punch! punch. That's right. Uh, It's like the four girls. (laughs) I I think the 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 fault of the movie begins, and I I don't know that. um, It's weird because I I had sort of an opposite effect the uh, the second time I saw it where. I like the the end more than the beginning, but there's there there comes a point where, uh, towards the end, where it gets a little overstuffed and too much stuff starts happening at once, and then it pulls you in different directions. And I think the thematic uh, Alex Garland is trying to throw themes at you, and he throws a li- like a few too many. It, it is theme heavy. Go ahead. Well, look, I I'm going to disagree slightly with you 
about the originality of it, the uniqueness of it. I mean, the setup is unique, um, but towards the middle, it starts to get a little formulaic, at least where the where the movie is sending uh, Oscar Isaac's character. Like some of the stuff he says um, and some of the, the actions that he does and then the, the kind of, um, not to spoil anything, but the... the uh, you know the direction he seems to be going with uh, with uh, the Ava AI starts to get a little predictable, and then the movie pulls the rug out from under you briefly, mm-hmm. and then it gets predictable again. In my opinion, mm-hmm. um, the climax. There's a great scene in the kitchen between Oscar Isaac and Dominic Gleeson. I love that scene where you're like, "Oh shit, here's the turn. Like, here's what's been happening." Mm-hmm. Um, and then they move on to like a control room, and that's when it really starts to starts to get like, oh, shit, this has been a totally different movie than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And then, no, it's the same movie you thought it was because something happens uh, that you never – that was off screen that you never saw happen. Yeah. Um, so it – to not give anything away, it just to me that felt a little formulaic and it was a little disappointing. Um, I don't know if – I don't know if formulaic is, is the word I would use. Um, but I think that – I think that the rug pulling. I mean, you can only pull the rug so many times before it's like, okay, enough. That just you know, tell well, me, tell, show I, me what's but happening. But there's only one time well, that it pulls the rug out from under you, and I thought that was going to totally change the movie. Th- there is, but there's also misdirection several times because there's in the scene you're talking about. <coughs> there's one misdirection, and then another misdirection, and then another. Yeah, uh, it just it felt like it. It felt like it ended up back in the formulaic place for me. Yeah, and I don't, you know, because once. Once all of that happens, then the 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 thematic part starts coming. Yeah, in. I think that thematically it's strong. I mean, we didn't we're not touching on stuff like sexuality and how Ava the AI uses that to kind of uh, you know um, get her way with uh, the other characters. Um, and I think that's a really strong thing to talk or strong point in the film where or Garland writes about you know how women in general or how that the you know the the female. Um, well, it's, it, well, it's, call not, it. it's not just female anything, but it was anything. Like, why does sexuality exist? Mm-hmm. Because it you you it has to be fun. You have to have a goal in mind, right? But she uses it as well, and I think that's what he was trying to say. I, in my I opinion, I don't think I don't think it was strictly female. It just happened to be that this was a female character. But, well, it had to be a female <laughs> character if it was a male well, was, scientist. Well, right, but I mean, I don't think it was. I don't think it was. Well. well the, the, hold on. The, the point. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make here is that I don't think it's it's saying anything specifically about females. It was saying specifically about sec, human sexuality yeah, right, in general. Right. Okay. I, but there's also, you know, bits and pieces of themes having to do with computers and technology and stuff like well, that. Well, I mean, all the technology stuff is just bullshit. Yeah. Like it's all just glossed over. Te- right. Techno babble. I didn't write this in my uh, interview with Garland because I, the, the the interview I did was a. a, a a round table, so I don't like putting everybody else's questions in there. I just that's why it was short because I got like three or four questions in. Mm-hmm. But somebody brought up about, um, or he brought up actually about the technology. It's a little bit uh, uh, old school because he wrote this about twenty years ago. So if you notice, like the key cards, there wouldn't really be key card. I mean, key cards are such an old, you know, thing. Uh, it would be like retinal scans and stuff like that. If mm-hmm. if you want to, you know, go beyond or go into like what it would have truly been if he was like this CEO billionaire type person so he kind of kept it a little bit like back in the past type stuff i don't know if that bothered you i didn't i didn't even really didn't even really register i think i think maybe the most divisive bit of disagreements that 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 we all have 
specifically Jared against us is the dance sequence, <laughs> which it is was fine. But <clears throat> goddamn, everybody's talking about it like it was the fucking second coming. It's the, I didn't see this at South by because I was doing uh, other bullshit interview stuff. But like, I hear like the Paramount went wild for the dance sequence. And I'm like, yeah, of course the Paramount went wild for the dance sequence in South by Southwest. It's the best scene in a movie this year so far. I agree. Why, though? Because, because it, it comes out of nowhere. It's unexpected. It's hilarious. It's unexpected after this guy had been drunkenly, like, Of course like, it's unexpected. Jokes. Well, you don't expect, a, like, a choreographed dance sequence. I mean, it's like... <laughs> oh, come on. Y'all are, y'all are just... That's the South by fever. And it's, no, it's not, not only that, but it's the line he says before, which is just, like, really uh, funny. I don't I don't know how the what line... What was the line? I don't remember. Because he gets mad because he sees him rip up a page. Yeah, he says, why did you tear this page up? Uh, this picture. Oh, and he's yeah. like, I'm going to tear up this fucking dance floor. <laughs> then, that's what I'm going to do. And then he does. I mean, it's a fine scene. <laughs> and then he does. <laughs> it's a fine scene. And it's... I don't know. I'd it's heard... so bizarre. It's it's so out yeah, of place. Yeah, I think that's yeah, exactly. It's it's out no, of place. No, it's not. It's not at all oh, because it is. because it totally he's is. because he's already like drunkenly like cracking jokes. Like the the fucking the scene we played where he talks about like no, your favorite salad dressing. Of course e- I'm e- talking about. Even if he was stone cold sober, it would have been funny. Like it's it's not it's not the fact that he's drunk and dancing. It's the fact that the dance is so well it's so well thought out and it's like he's... it's fine. I mean it's fine though, but and like I, look, it's fine. It's not funny. It's not the best scene in a movie this year. I mean, maybe it's. Uh, I could. I totally. I like. I said. I can totally see this being like one of those things at fucking South by Southwest in the Paramount Theater when I assume the the cast and director were in attendance. No, I've seen this uh, uh, at just, least a dozen times. And the crowd since. just losing their fucking shit. You can you can see it online. Yeah, you can watch the scene online. It's a fine scene. I'm not saying it's bad or anything. It's just not. He's fine. It's just it's it's not the transcendent uh, experience I was expecting, uh, or, or that, that people have built it up to be. Namely, the two of you at this table. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm I'm sticking with it. You it's, fucking it's wrote great. about it like it, in your review, like it was like it made you come. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it didn't. I just want to set the record straight. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> there, there. Are, other than that, there are a few things in this. Uh, movie that are a little showy and strange um i think with with isaac oscar isaac's performance uh, it could have been like scene chewing type stuff and it wasn't so i mean i credit him for that well i think the the character design is really well done too because it's just like a um you know he's a he's a billionaire tech genius but he's like super laid back and cool and Calls you dude all the time. It's like I like because I think I I remember uh, someone. That characterization is not really new. That's like I, every tech genius. I didn't say it was okay. new. I said it was good. I, okay. I, it's uh, but it's it, but it's it's taking on like the the new uh, the new generation of tech genius, and uh, and I think in some interview I don't think it was yours. I think it was I think it might have been Chase Wales on the playlist. But he he refers to it as bro billionaire. Was that your interview? No, yeah, that was mine, but that's something that um uh, that Oscar Isaac um talks about. Yeah, and so I I think that I really like that that term side of the character. Uh, but I will say I, I will say if you read my written review, I I do think a little bit less of it than I did when I wrote it. Um, and I don't it, some of it again. South by Southwest is sort of a, a weird vacuum. See, yeah, but I don't I don't fall into that at all. I don't. Oh I mean, come on, that's I totally don't. true. That's no, totally it, true. Totally do not. I would, if that was the case, I would have loved uh, that stupid freaking what is it? Um, 
that um, time travel movie that everybody loved last year. What was it called? Safety Not Guaranteed. Safety Not Guaranteed. Everybody was flipping out over that. The, the one this year was Sally Field's new movie, which won like the Audience Award and everything else. But I think I, I don't I don't. I don't know that that's necessarily true, and it's not true in every instance, but I think that in cases when you like a movie, the the degree to which you like it can be heightened. Yeah, because look, I didn't, I didn't dislike the movie at all, and I saw this in a, uh, you know, a, a, a theater that was, it was a, kind of a matinee show yesterday at 4.30, so the theater was about half full. And this is a movie people are seeking out. This, is, wasn't, this was recommended by Draft House, or yeah. whatever they call it, their uh, Draft, Draft House, House recommends. Uh, so it's a movie... Like, it's playing to the right crowd, is what I'm saying. And the reactions that, that, that you talk about, like the, the scene, the dancing scene, like, nobody really made a peep. And I don't know that that's necessarily an accurate indication of, of what it is, but it doesn't seem like it's, uh, like, there were laughs that were that, to be had, but that one wasn't one of them. And I don't. I don't know. It's it's why I it's why and you guys give me shit for it all the time. But it's why I firmly believe in rewatching movies that you really like because I think there is so much that can go into the experience of watching a film the first time. And I, that that is my theory as to why you need to be careful in film festivals and rewatch these things to make sure they reach the heights because you feed off of the energy at a film festival when crowds are eating it up. But I mean, let's let's be honest. This is like. This is a perfect specimen of a film of a South by Southwest film. Yeah, that would, that would be a huge hit. Yeah, abso- absolutely. But it's also, I think, on it can stand on its own as a really good right. Film. No, I agree. But I mean, this is like like you heard the reactions from Fast Seven, yeah, Furious Seven, and uh, you just have to check. You just have to keep it in mind, check yourself, and and and, and really pay attention because yes, when Furious Seven came out uh, at South by Southwest. And if you read any sort of Twitter reaction to it, it was the best movie ever made. It was yeah. like, you know, the best movie ever made. So, you know, you have to just be very careful with festival buzz. Um, and it seems to happen, you know, like stuff will win audience awards at Sundance and it comes out and you're like, eh. Like, remember the Sessions? The Sessions was a giant hit out of Sundance. And you watch the movie and you're like, eh, it's okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, it's, um, you know, stuff to just be mindful of. In my opinion, <laughs> I just don't like to like rewatching stuff. I don't feel I don't like to feel like I'm trying to change my mind. I don't. One I don't. Way or the other. I don't do it. To, I, I I do it to verify that what my opinion is is correct, for the most part. But that's what. That's just another way of saying that. No, I'm trying to. I'm not. I'm trying to not change my mind. I'm trying to verify it. Okay. Anyway, grades. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go down to a B on this one. Um. It's still original sci-fi, and it's worth the price of admission for Oscar Isaac alone. So, yeah. Kiko? Um, I'm at a B plus, but now i got to watch it again. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, B plus. I thought it was really strong. Hey, I'm, I'm going to go with a B also, um, despite the problems I had with it. Um, it's very enjoyable. It's well made. Yeah. Um, there are a few scenes that the seams of the uh, – CG effects show a little too much, mm-hmm. um, and I think I think one of them is really unnecessary. There's a scene where Domhnall Gleeson starts to finally figure everything out, yeah, and it's just kind of showy and weird. Mm. Um, you know what I'm talking about? I know right? what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It, it's uh, anyway. I uh, B B is for me. B is for robot. <laughs> that starts with an R. You know that, right? <laughs> For bot. Robot. 
Robot for bro, bro billionaire. Oh, there you go, even better. Oh, all right, let's move on to our next review: The Age of Adeline. What's wrong? I'm just tired of running, of lying to good people. Then stop. Nobody's chasing you anymore. Anyone who is ever suspicious is long dead. You don't have to be alone forever. Don't you miss having someone to love? It's been such a long time. Well, it's not the same when there's no future. What are you talking about? You got nothing but future. I mean a future together, of growing old together. <laughs> Without that love is, um, it's just heartbreak. A young woman born at the turn of the 20th century is rendered ageless after an accident. After years of solitary life, she meets a man who might be worth losing her immortality for. Now, this is the sequel to The Age of Ultron. <laughs> Prequel. <laughs> I didn't see this one. The two of you did, right? We did. Kiko, what are you doing over there? Nothing. Oh, you want to start? Yeah, I, I, I really like this movie a lot. Um, it's not getting... Great reviews is getting mixed reviews. It's for some reason polarizing to a lot of people, but um, I really enjoyed like the the idea behind this and 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 this woman who um, won't put herself into a position where she can love because she's gonna live forever, and if she does put herself in that position, she's gonna start losing people because you know not everybody can live forever. So she, I think she doesn't want to put herself in the position where she's going to fall in love and then <clears throat> people are going to die off, which is really interesting to me. I, um, I really enjoy Blake Lively's performance in this. Uh, she plays this woman, uh, who isn't gets, gets into this tr- terrible accident. And then somehow, uh, her DNA is changed in a way that she can't age anymore. Now, <coughs> Of course, when it comes to something, this kind of magic realism type film, you got to either jump on board or not. And same thing with a movie like, uh, I don't know, one, one, one that I love that people don't like because they're like, oh, that's so stupid. is like Pleasantville. You know, oh, how did this happen? They jumped into the TV. You just have to, you know, yeah. allow yourself to believe that that's what happened. Um, this <laughs> with the with the magic realism, uh, it it's, starts off fine enough. I think that, you know. The way that it happens, or the way that she uh, becomes this type, or this person who can't age, is fine. But uh, later on in the film, it gets a little messy um, uh, when they're trying to explain a little bit more. But I think Blake Lively, as this hundred and ten-year-old person who's, you know, looks like she's twenty-five, uh, she does a really good job of being this like sophisticated soul. And you know how you, people talk about old souls? Oh, they they have an old soul. They have an old soul. Like they're really like, you know. They're young, but they have like this something about them that makes them feel older. And she she yeah. plays that through the entire movie, which I think she does really well. Um, <clears throat> this is directed by uh, uh, Lee Tolan Krieger, who did uh, um, to help me with the uh, uh, second movie, uh, Celeste and Jesse Celeste Forever. and Jesse Forever, which uh, it was a, it was a really um, I love that uh, movie. beautiful romantic uh, comedy. It, it, in a different vein than, you know, you say romantic comedy, it doesn't usually have a good connotation. This is like really like intimate romantic comedy uh, um, that, that that he does really well. And then he did a movie a few years ago called uh, The Vicious Kind, which is way under um, 
under underrated for a film if you haven't seen it check it out um so coming here this is his most um um what is the word where you can't it's something that you it's easy more more accessible, accessible. it's his most accessible movie uh he does a good job of uh, uh you know putting he didn't write the script so th- that's different from before he did he write Celeste? No, I love Cody. Is just <clears throat> translating this whole thing. For Sorry, <laughs> it's just funny. So Celeste and Jesse, he didn't write, but uh, Vicious kind he did. This one he doesn't write, but he the direction is great. I mean, he does an awesome job at it. Uh, it, it, it does some uh, interesting things visually. It looks beautiful. Um, Blake Lively is amazing in it. I thought, um, and then <laughs> the scene where it really, really transforms into something else is when uh, um, Harrison Ford comes into play. Uh, it's just, uh, it takes a turn for, from being a good movie to a very good movie for me. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I, I would definitely recommend this, even though, uh, again, it's polarizing for a lot of audiences. Cody? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not going to go on about how The Vicious Kind is one of my favorite movies of all time and you should all see it immediately. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a film that I've, you know, I, I think that the first half of the movie I wasn't entirely on board with. Um, was it because of the magic realism? It, it wasn't the magic realism as much as it was the, um, I suppose, the introduction to it, the narration um, that I didn't, I didn't really like the narration part of it. See, narration is hard, though. I mean, right? You have to admit, yeah. Sometimes it works, and sometimes it's some, a slippery slope. Yeah. Some, I think, some um, screenwriters think it's a cop out way of telling a story. Well, it's just, it's just a way <clears throat> to to dump exposition. Without letting your characters do it, right? right. Um, I, I I I agree sometimes, but sometimes I think it works. There's there's a lot of uh, really good examples of it. But we were just talking about uh, Casino before yeah. the show started, right? Casino. This uh, the opening sequence reminded me a lot of P.T. Anderson, who I'm not going to go on, on off about. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, Magnolia, my favorite movie of all what time. What what would happen if uh, P.T. Anderson directed Oscar Isaac in a movie? Ooh. Oh, the vapors. <laughs> So that it really uh, the there, there's some interesting uh, narration at the beginning of this movie that reminded me of a P.T. Anderson film. Yeah, that was it, and I think that that the relationship between Blake Lively and I forget the guy's name, uh, Michael House Houseman Wiesman, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Um, I think that their relationship is 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 maybe not as strong as it could be, especially when the romance needs to be earned towards right. the end of the movie. And I don't, I don't know that that necessarily connects completely. Um, but th- everything completely changes when Harrison Ford shows up. Um, because this is the best I've seen Harrison Ford in a long time. Like this is a really, really good performance yeah. for him. That scene where he, um, where he comes in is just, it's such a great scene. Well, it's not only that, but his character adds so much complexity to the story. Mm-hmm. And uh, it and it sort of takes the movie in an entirely different direction. Um, and I didn't know about I didn't know what he played in this movie going in um, at all. So when it happens, it really surprised me. I figured it out. Oh, you I, did. Well, I knew that Harrison Ford was in the movie, and and we hadn't seen him up to that point. So I was like, okay, I know what's going on here. Uh, but I mean, if you're not if you're not wise to it, it's a it would be a, a really interesting. I mean, um, you know, when it reveals itself, the reaction in the audience. Uh, you know, is well his rea- his reaction is what got me. I'm yeah. like, man, it just seemed really genuine. Well, like- and there's a lot of stuff happening. There's a lot of really subtle acting happening in that scene, both between Blake Lively and Harrison Ford, and it's it's really well done. 
Um, and Blake Lively through the whole thing. I mean, I think that there's this uh, underlying sadness about her character that's yeah. just really lovely to me. Um, and we talked about her, you know, everybody talks about, you know, the crying sequences. Uh, are you a great actress because you can cry on key or whatever? Right. But there's something about Blake Lively's crying that doesn't come all the way through. Her, her eyes are just like for uh, like forever watery. And yeah. And, and just like they well up. And there's just something about when she does that that just kind of like. Yeah, her, her her ability to well up without tears falling <laughs> is is pretty amazing in here because there's you're you're absolutely right. It demonstrates this like a like this low level of sadness that she's carrying everywhere because she's been on the run for so long. Yeah, yeah. and so you know when see when she comes in and she's reminded of things from her past, you know she'll just well up a little bit but not fully get there, which is a, a really nice acting touch from her. Yeah, and it's a it's a really sweet movie. Um, uh, um I, I think that. You, you hit something again on the head, which is uh, Lee Krieger's direction. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really visually striking things. In particular, the car accident that Adeline gets in that, that changes her is amazingly well shot. Mm-hmm. You know, you have it's, – it's sort of set up almost like, you know, let me in. Like, you know, the, the – with the um, – with seeing a car wreck from the perspective of like, oh yeah, and I think we've talked about car accident scenes where what's the best one shot and uh, let me in is great. Uh, but again, uh, one of my favorites is P.T. Anderson in, in Magnolia where the uh, uh, ambulance crashes, and it reminded me of that mm-hmm. exact sequence where mm-hmm. she crashes her car because uh, it's from the inside, from the back. Yeah, uh, it looks like she got fucking leveled, you know. Yeah, so it, it's really well shot. Look what? at both of you just bringing up like your favorite. <laughs> Movies. Yeah. Like, well, oh, I mean, Magnolia. Oh, let me in. Uh, Matt Reeves and uh, P.T. Anderson. Yeah. Just a, so, wow. well, and I, you know, I think I, I don't know that the movie works entirely. Um, no, you, you, I, I agree. There's uh, the 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 relationship, the main relationship between the uh, Michael uh, Huizman and um, Blake Lively could have been a little bit stronger. It's hard, like I, I mentioned to you before. I think it's hard to make people fall in love in an hour and a half or two hours. So um, some um, movies do it really well and you believe like they're in a relationship and they can't live without each other. And then some uh, don't and I th- go get, and I think a problem with this is because she was pushing back so much. Yeah. A lot of the movie uh, takes up a lot of time and her like, no, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to get into this uh, relationship with you. Yeah. So you don't necessarily buy the level to which she feels for him because she's constantly Pushing back, shielding right. herself, but right. and I think that that's the main fault of the movie. If there's anything, it's that um, they they spend a lot of time developing the relationship, and I don't know that it ever quite gets to the level that it needs to be to hit as hard as it should. Right, I, I agree with you on that. And then another fault of it, I think, was is the is the ending in terms of the magic realism and, and explaining what's going yeah, on there. That's a little much. I think it got a little muddy there. Um, but again, if you jump on board with it, I jumped on board right away with it when it when it happened. I was like, okay, I'm on board. I know it was a little cheesy, but that's fine. Uh, when it tries to tie itself up or wrap itself up in a nice little bow at the end, it doesn't really work. So, um, all right, grades. I really like this movie. I'm gonna give it a, a B. Uh, I'm going with a B minus, but but with a caveat of just like if you can hold on until Harrison Ford shows up, you're going to be in for a treat for the rest of the movie. Um, it's a little one sided in that the back half I thought is a lot better, um, but it's I think you know I might have given it a C plus and not recommended it, but the Harrison Ford uh, parts and his performance are just too good to 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 not recommend. So uh, on the strength of his performance, uh, B minus. All right, let's go move on to our next movie, Kung Fu Killer. 
沖涼嗰陣執個老嘢一劑啦<laughs> a martial arts instructor from the police force gets imprisoned after killing a man by accident. But when a vicious killer starts targeting martial arts masters, the instructor offers to help the police in return for his freedom. Two of you saw this. Mm-hmm. Cody, why don't you start? Sure. This is a, a Alamo Draft House exclusive movie, so it's only playing at Alamo Draft House West Lakes in town locally here in San Antonio. Um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let, let's let's uh, preface this by saying we're not kung fu experts. No, in we're terms not. of the genre movie, I only know jujitsu. So. I like that you clarified that it's in terms of movie, as anybody was thinking, like, wait a minute, he is a kung fu expert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I I I think that um, the the premise for the movie is is okay. You know, it's the idea of there's a serial killer going around who is. Who his targets are masters in in the in each discipline of kung fu, and so he's trying to take down the top guy on the food chain, and do that. I think that's a decent idea for a, for like a flat out straight up kung fu movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about this film is that the narrative is just the most generic, useless thing you've ever seen. Just oh, like just like the title, yeah, kung fu killer. It sounds like straight to DVD kind of crap, and it basically is i mean i didn't get anything out of it at all i mean other than the fact like you're talking about i mean the story's kind of sets itself uh, up nicely there's some interesting nice fun choreographed scenes but yeah um that's all you're looking for in your kung fu movie i guess so yeah and yeah if you if you don't expect anything narratively speaking it's it's okay i mean like i i have been spoiled in recent years by the raid movies which have some of the best action sequences, at least like hand-to-hand combat, that I've ever seen. Um, especially the Raid 2, which was just full of awesome action sequences. Again, the Raid 2, the narrative, eh, it, it tried to be something it wasn't. But the action sequences are just amazing. And so, um, you know, th- these are okay. I mean, um, you know, there's... there's it, it's it, And I think the thing that works for it is, is that they happen frequently because... You know, when action sequences are not happening in the film, it's dull, uh, to be honest. And um, you know, and I take it back too. I think <laughs> I think saying that the action sequences and or the fight sequences in a kung fu movie is kind of a cop out. I mean, of course they're going to be, you know, watchable and mo- most of the time good. So you're right; they're 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 average. I mean, I think that you know, you, you, it's nothing that you haven't seen before. Um, there's a lot of uh, of that uh, seven point death punch type of fighting yeah. really up close and you know personal type pressure stuff points pressure stuff. point things that um, i don't know i'm like there's a lot of kung fu gripping <laughs> going on exactly <laughs> <laughs> everybody is kung fu gripping wow you <laughs> uh, got my joke man god damn it what I got everybody it. is kung fu dri- gripping yeah oh okay I get it. yeah no we got it <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't funny yeah, yeah. no and, and also i think it's like like almost 
it, it's really confusing. The narrative is really confusing. Yeah, so I had to. I don't know why. I had to start and stop it a couple of times. I wasn't sure what was going on. It's uh, hard to follow, and it's I don't. It, it shouldn't be because the plot is so basic, but. <laughs> It becomes hard to follow, and you and you kind of kind of lose sight. And especially, it, they try to. There's a weird twist towards the end mm-hmm. that is is unnecessary. It doesn't hit hard. Um, it doesn't change the game or anything. It's just kind of like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah, I think it really tries to put you know everything on that on that turn, and it doesn't really work out. I I thought the ending was pretty weak. And I wish I wish there was more to talk about with the movie but there just isn't yeah right? no it is it's just a, a collection of uh of average or above average fight scenes just depending on how much you know about kung fu movies maybe they're maybe they're just totally terrible and, and we don't no, know about- no i mean there's <laughs> you can do great kung fu movies or great action sequence like even anything like i think the person who nails it completely is is steven chow who did uh kung fu hustle and he also did shaolin soccer which mm-hmm, is right. really great and because there's an element of comedy to them um, that I think I think work really well because I think you have to accept that to a certain extent and not to say that there's not kung fu or martial arts movies that aren't completely serious right that and this, work, but. this one tries to be completely serious and it doesn't really happen I mean not to say that every kung fu movie needs humor in it I mean that's but with something called kung fu killer I mean it's just so campy itself well I mean, you would expect yeah exactly you would expect to embrace that and it's sort of like what it what it tries to be is this serious like almost police procedural right movie and that part i mean that police procedural stuff is just really generic like we yeah, said it was super generic it was almost like it was almost like kung fu csi like it was <laughs> like it, it was just super generic and boring and um and yeah and, and again i i actually like martial arts movies when they're well done i'm i'm i find them really entertaining um, oh, you like the raid and the raid two way more than I did. I remember. So. Well, the uh, the raid is okay. The raid two, I thought, had some of the the best action sequences I've ever seen. Um, which is the one? Which which one of those movies is it that uh, where they get in the car? Oh, and the camera goes through the car. Yeah, and the guy was the cameraman was dressed up as a chair. Yeah, that that's the raid two. Okay, that sequence is is awesome, by the way. Um, but yeah, I think I think uh, you know, in, if you're going to be a martial arts movie, you're your your martial arts sequences better be uh better be unique to the point where it's not just a couple guys kung fu fighting like i mean that that and what, that's all it is it's just they're basically fighting each other with no with nothing interesting particularly about it there there was that one uh uh fight scene in the highway i kind of liked yeah that um, was all right uh with the poles and i like the one where they're fighting on like the the perf- not, those kind of poles <laughs> yeah the Jesus. polish polish people yeah that's what you meant. Right? The the one where they're fighting on like the contemporary art piece, I, I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, what's what's your grades? C minus. I'm me. I'm I'm exactly in the same place. C minus. But uh, hey, uh, these are just our opinions, and if you want to see the movie, we're gonna give away some passes to see it. If you want to check it out, if you like kung fu movies or martial arts movies, and you want to check this out for free, um. Like I said, it's playing uh, exclusively at Alamo Drafthouse Westlakes, and it's playing at different times, but mostly after like nine thirty p.m. So you got to be able to go um, and just email us um, at podcast at net with the subject line "Kung Fu Killer," and uh, maybe we'll hook you up with some passes to yeah, check it send out. Send us your name and phone number. Yeah, just way so we have a, just in case ways to get a hold of you. We can text you when we're bored. Yeah, <laughs> from our from our uh, Cinesnob phone number, we can text you. 
So, um, so yeah, if you want to check it out, you know, again, we're not going to hold it against you if you love it and we don't like it. Well, kung fu, the genre is pretty uh, divisive, I think. By, yeah. Not divisive, but you have to kind of be into it. Like, yeah. It's kind of like horror. Yeah, you know, There's people that, that, that just embrace the genre, you know, uh, sight unseen. Yeah, exactly, and and so um, yeah, you're you're definitely right, and that's why Westlake's is showing it because Westlake's is a great place to see it. Um, and it's like it's not like we get ten kung fu movies a year. Right. I mean, we right. don't even get one from the U.S. I mean, this is what I, Chinese, Chinese, so kung fu, yes, Chinese. All right, so yeah, if you want to check it out, send us an email, and we'll give you some tickets, and you can check it out. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our last movie, Adult Beginners. You guys are eating like rescue dogs. Huh. I don't know, we gotta slow down. You talk to him yet? Yeah. What? You need to stay here for a few months? I'm sure. What? Well, my sister moved back in with my parents after she had that nervous breakdown, dropped out of school. The same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing as that. I didn't get a chance to talk to him yet. I can help out around the house. Buy groceries, build stuff, rip shit out of walls as needed. You wanna watch Teddy? Yeah, sure. I'll watch cartoons with them while you guys have a night on the town. I could do that, like, every other week. Oops. <laughs> Let me get the... <laughs> I had the... Here we go. All right, three, two, one. A young narcissistic entrepreneur crashes and burns on the eve of his company's big launch. With his entire life in total disarray, he leaves Manhattan to move in with his estranged pregnant sister, brother-in-law, and three-year-old nephew in the suburbs, only to become their nanny. Now, uh... Cody, you and I saw this at South by Southwest. We did. And uh, it's now on VOD. Yes. Um, getting a big push. Um, Nick Kroll uh, is the star of this. Um, are you a fan of his comedy otherwise? I am. Um, I, I have seen very limited of the Kroll show, but I've seen enough to get an idea of it. What about the league? I, I, I really like the league. Um, and I, and I think that Nick Kroll's amazing at characters. Um, so like if you've ever seen him on Comedy Bang Bang or heard him on Comedy yeah. Bang Bang, he's got... So many great characters, a lot of which he brought to Kroll's show. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's a funny guy. I, I recently learned that there are Kroll haters out there. Yeah. There's, I didn't realize that there was like a – There's a weird pushback going on with him. That's interesting. Well, look. To me. I think he's funny. I don't think this movie is good. Um, uh, there's a sincerity to this movie that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Uh, especially from the other stuff I've seen from Nick Kroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, but look, you go ahead and talk about it first. Well, I mean, look, I mean, first of all, the cast is great. I mean, yeah. you've got you've got in your three leads, you've got Nick Kroll, Rose Byrne, and Bobby Cannavale. Um, and Rose Byrne and Bobby Cannavale are real life uh, couple. So, um, Ooh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's steamy. Yeah, isn't I've, it? I've seen uh, Bobby Cannavale's wiener before on uh, Boardwalk Empire. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> how how did that go? <laughs> He was a he played a great character on Boardwalk Empire. I don't know if you ever watched it. Uh, I love him in, uh, in Chef. Do you love him in Chef? No, he's he's good in Chef, okay. but Win Win is my favorite Bobby Cannavale performance. Um, Station Agent, Station Agent, both Tom McCarthy movies. Um, and Blue Jasmine. He's really good in Blue Jasmine. Yeah, he's great in Blue Jasmine. Yeah, he's a really good actor and one who has a, a lot of range to where he can you know he can do comedy, but he also you know won an Emmy for Boardwalk Empire. So. He played um, a real psychopath on Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, great cast, a lot of good peripheral people too. Um, Joel McHale, who doesn't do much with his role, but um, 
But like, there's a really good scene with like Bobby Monahan from SNL. Yeah, that's that's a great scene. Um, I mean, Nick, I've heard, was on the way over here. I was listening to an interview on NPR with Nick Kroll talking oh, okay. about the Bobby Moynihan scene. Him and Bobby Moynihan are old friends. Okay. And that scene was actually shot like a block from where Bobby Moynihan grew up. Oh, really? And the store that they're in, it's like a department store. You, he, Bobby Moynihan said used to be a bowling alley or something where he had birthday parties. Yeah. So it was a very, it was a very uh, I guess, personal project. It seems for Nick Kroll. Yeah, he has a story credit on the movie. And he's so. a producer. Yeah. But it's just so generic. Well, here's the thing about it. It's uh, it's not a comedy. It, there are some uh, comedic elements of it, but it's it's a, it's a pretty straight drama. You think uh, so? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's I would call it a comedy drama because it starts yeah. out like like the scenes at the beginning, like the stuff with Joel McHale and the the stuff that uh, that sets the movie up, like the. The tech crash that he experiences, he's making a, I guess it's a Google Glass sort of thing. Yeah, basically. Um, and the fu- uh, whatever the part, one part of it, the funding falls through mm-hmm. and it crashes. But the, the party that he's having to launch this thing is just kind of an absurd Anchorman style excess. I don't know that it's quite as absurd as Anchorman I don't, I didn't, I didn't think it was that absurd. But it, but it's, it doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. It yeah. doesn't fit his personality that he experience, that he exhibits in the rest of the movie. Yeah, and you know, I, I do take that back. There is there is some comedic elements to it. I think that it is. I would say maybe like seventy thirty drama comedy, maybe sixty five, sixty four, sixty three. I mean, it's sixty two uh, maybe. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I saw it as a like a. 61 like a not a romantic comedy but like a, a family of, yeah like a family dramedy yeah uh you know I, I think that the comedic elements work a little bit i think like the bobby monahan scenes really funny um uh and i think that, that that nick kroll is just kind of a sarcastic guy that he plays really i mean it's it's kind of close to the character he plays on the league but not as cartoonish as ruxin from the league but um but you know a, a typically sarcastic kind of uh uh, low energy kind of guy, but yeah, there's kind of a real sadness to him through the whole thing. There is, yeah, and um, y- you know, I think I think that it's it's earnest to a fault at times, mm-hmm. um, because I think that you know it's it's it, a lot of it is again. I was a little bit more charmed by it than you. I don't. I'm not saying that it's it's a great film or anything, but I thought that there's some earnest bits of uh, of story in here, and and. Um, and that it's 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 genuinely sweet a few times. Yeah, um, I'm not. I don't want to make it out to think that I think the movie is bad. Just it's it's really disappointing that it's that somebody with such a like kind of on the cusp of breaking through with an original voice in comedy yeah. like Nick Kroll chose to do something that that really. I mean, the climax is so generic. It's the thing you've seen ten thousand times. Yeah. Um. You know. Uh, the big meeting, and you got to choose between the big meeting and family. I did like. See, I, I think, I think that the main idea behind it is, but I think the execution is not that generic. I mean, I do. I, I mean, look. I mean, it, it happens through a, a butt dial, basically. And yeah, and so but I, kind I mean, of, but... I, I like that touch to it. Um, that it's not like you know, the the decision that he makes is is his and his alone versus. But to get to the point, I mean. Look, however you get to the, that point, whether it's through a butt dial, whether it's through a, a whatever, it still comes down to, oh, hey, you got to take this big meeting or go do your family thing. Right. You got to make a choice. Right. Uh, which, 
I mean, like I said, we've seen so, so many times. Yeah, and I, I think that it's, it, it, you know, the whole thing has an air of wasted potential behind it, yeah. especially given the cast, given everything. But, you know, I think that, uh, I, again, I, I will not say that I, I completely dislike the movie. It, there is some charm to it, um, but it feels a little, it's very slight, like extremely slight. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as I think about it more, there is, there is more attempts at humor. Um, then maybe we're giving it credit for, but uh... no. I, well, I mean, I think it was definitely trying to be a comedy as well as a drama. Yeah. I mean, I just don't think it succeeded very well. Um, it, it sets a weird tone, and then like the towards the end of the film, he goes back to visit Joel McHale's character, and it's the same kind of cartoonish lifestyle. Yeah. That's there's a lot of incongruence with that particular character. I like that word. Thank nice. you. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and. You know, I, I really like Joel McHale. I don't think uh, necessarily he's found the best projects yet. Even no. Community, I don't think is Community gives him a little too much earnestness. Uh, well, yeah, and he and, he, and he, a lot of his other acting gigs have not been great. Like he, he was kind of worthless in Ted, and yeah, and uh, he, so he's not going to get to Greg Kinnear level here. I love him. I love him as a host. I wish he would have. A, I wish he would get a uh, like a late night show. Yeah. Um, but just as an actor, I don't. Maybe he just hasn't found the right thing yet. Community is beloved, but I don't think it's because of him at all. Yeah, because uh, he kind of gets to play the straight man and then like the voice of reason at the same time. And mm-hmm. um, here he he stretches his wacky muscles, but it doesn't. Those scenes don't really fit with the rest of the movie at all. Yeah, like it's you know you think you're going to get one thing and then the rug gets pulled out from under you and you've got kind of a family drama. And like it's, Rose Byrne is great. Yeah, Bobby Cannavale is great. Um, He's and his character is not quite what you expect. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of expect an asshole, but you get a really nice guy who's yeah. made some bad decisions. Yeah, and I think Bobby Cannavale is one of those actors who you rarely see them phone it in. Yeah, he's he's just a he's a really strong supporting actor, and I've I bet he's him. a strong man. But he's strong. Ask Rose Byrne. You're uh, you're you're just upset you didn't get to see his wiener in this. Movie. <laughs> I've got the DVDs. For but didn't you like the sweet scene of like Rose Byrne's pregnant in bed and she forgot to brush her teeth and she, he brings her a toothbrush in bed? No, no. Does I, he brush it for have, her? I don't really. I don't really have a problem at all with the Rose Byrne Bobby Cannavale thing. Hmm. It's the Nick Kroll character who doesn't really yeah. work for me. I think that's. I actually think that's really accurate. Um, just he, he doesn't feel like like it feels like this part could have been played by anybody. Yeah, I think that's, um, you yeah. know this could have been. Um, Fuck, Joel McHale could have played the part. I mean, you know, so anybody else, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really speak to the the uniqueness of Nick Kroll. Nick Kroll. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, I get maybe he wanted to try something different, but it just doesn't, it doesn't, it just feels, it ends up feeling generic to me. Mm-hmm. So, grades, gentlemen. Uh, I'm gonna go with a B minus. I'm going to barely recommend it. Um, I think that there's enough sweetness and earnestness to 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 just go out. Ah, you know, yeah. I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna give it a C. I was gonna go C plus, but I still it just it's it's it it smells like a whiff, you know, just like you said, wasted a whiff, whatever. <laughs> it's a kind of a, a hit and a miss, you know, swing and a miss. I like whiff. Whiff's good. I can't. I'm just saying all these baseball terms. Like oh. it's a it's a it's a ground ball double. It's a pop fly to center field. That you think is going to be good, and then someone catches it. By the way, I know a ground ball double is you know not a common baseball thing. I know I know baseball. I was just you know being 
facetious. I don't want anyone to think I'm not like super athletic. You know? <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm kind of a jock. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I am. I mean, it's crazy how athletic I am. But <laughs> uh, yeah, see, it's. I wish it was better. I wish I had. I do too. Wish it was because uh, we saw this at South by, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess it's a finished product, right? It's on VOD now. Yeah, um, yeah, and it had distribution at that point, so yeah, okay. it was it was done. Anyway, disappointing as yeah. far as I'm concerned. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Yeah. Next week, it's the Avengers: Age of Ultron. Yeehaw! Is there anything else? Yeah, there's a couple things. Um, but I mean, like big releases are no, clearing the deck. No, 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 no wide releases are going to go up against this. But we, we'll have, um, I think, Clouds of Sils Maria's opening, and uh, and also, I think we're going to do an HBO. There's an HBO documentary airing on Monday night called Tales of the Grim Sleeper. That, uh, oh, I think we're going to talk about. What's that about? Uh, it's about a serial killer. Mm, he comes back and uh, well, they just talk about uh, what he did in his past, and they talk about some of the people that um, were affected by his murders. Yeah, and so uh, and so, I think we're going to have a, a couple. <laughs> he sold it. Yeah, you know, sold it. So a couple. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, there's uh, there's good HBO docs coming out in the f- next week. So like that week we'll have that, and then the following week, Kurt Cobain montage of Heck is airing. Um, so we can talk about that as well. You know, uh, you can stay at uh, Kurt and Courtney's apartment in LA on Airbnb now. Oh yeah, I saw that. It's like fifteen hundred dollars a night or yeah. something ridiculous. Something like he wrote. What did he wrote? Like heart shaped box in that apartment something or something like, like that. that. That's where I stayed when I was in L.A. Yeah, and so we've <laughs> – shut up. <laughs> we, we've Kiko and I have both seen Kurt Cobain montage of Hex. That was so. a South by Southwest thing, right? Yeah, it was. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, looking forward to that. And, of course, obviously, Avengers Age of Ultron. Um, Which I don't think any three of us are going to go see, but whatever. Yeah, yeah I'm skipping it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, and, uh, and we actually have a contest. It should be still running by the time you hear this. If you haven't heard about it yet – um, we got to give those away like tomorrow. So if yeah. you're done, if you, if this is before we're drawing, Monday, we're drawing winners tomorrow afternoon. That's Monday afternoon. Monday afternoon. So yeah. if you're listening to this on Sunday or Monday morning, Monday morning, you got time to go to the Facebook page and please, please, please follow directions carefully. Uh, Cody's very adamant on these directions. Well, it's because it makes it hard to pick a winner if they're not followed correctly. And it's not that – I mean I made it as simple as possible. Essentially, it's a like drive, so you need to refer people to like our page. They need to like it, and then on the picture, they just need to comment and tag your name, and that's it. You're entered to win. Jesus Christ. That's a lot of steps. No, it's not. <laughs> Stop trying to make this harder than it is. Look, you guys, if you just ask nicely. It's worth it because there are tickets – They're guaranteed Guaranteed ticket. seats to yeah. the – screening on Tuesday night. And you're going to get to see it before everybody else. And you get to so. brag about it. And also, with that, we are including food and beverage vouchers for each of you uh, to Alamo Draft House. So it's good for $12 off of your uh, food and drink orders. Um, of course, I you can't use them that night because it's not being shown at the Alamo Draft House. <laughs> yeah. but, but go to Alamo Draft House the next day and, uh, <laughs> and order food. Or and Friday drinks. and watch Avengers again. Yeah, you can see Avengers again. Are they doing any, any marathons this year? Uh, they are actually. They are doing a. Um, I think just they're they're doing a double feature at Park North that's sold out. Um, oh. So I guess it's a little worthless to talk about that, but um, yeah, and they're doing a. There's still tickets left at Westlake's for their double feature of Avengers 
and uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. And at Stone Oak, there are still tickets left there, too. Cool. So, um, definitely go check that out at Draft House uh, if you can. Facebook.com slash CineSnobCritic. Yes. To register. Um, anyway, you can... Uh, want to get a hold of us otherwise, you can contact us via email, podcast at cinesnob.net. You can call us at 920-FILM-210. It's 920-3456-210. Be sure to... uh, (laughs) Well, I don't know what's happening in the background here. But uh, be sure to uh, check out my interview with Tommy Wiseau, uh, writer, director, producer, star of The Room. Um, I really want to try to get him down here for a screening of the room. Um, I really want to work on that with, uh, with draft house. We'll see, we'll see how that happens. We just had a great screening with Greg Sestero last month. <coughs> so we may want to let that breathe, but, um, t- you guys need to meet Tommy Wiseau in person. I really want Cody to meet Tommy. Wiseau. I would love to meet Tommy. Um, <clears throat> you can watch the whole interview on our website, cinesnob.net. You can listen to a podcast version along with, uh, <clears throat> Mike, Kevin, and Bill of Rift Tracks, uh, who have a screening of the room, not this coming week, but next week, May 6th, that we are also giving away tickets to. You can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net with the subject line Rift Tracks. Give us your name and phone number. And uh, we've got a p- two pairs of tickets of that to give away, for that to give away. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else? We've got giveaways out the wazoos. Yeah, and we'll. And, uh, <laughs> the wazoo? The wazoo. No, there will be continued giveaways happening in the coming weeks. We're we've got lots of stuff to give away. So, and we'll do it. We'll be doing it all uh, 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 over all platforms. So, this podcast, all platforms, Facebook, Twitter. So, other than listening Friendster. to our three beautiful voices, you get something else out of this podcast: free stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one more thing. Um, hopefully, next week we will be announcing our Alamo Draft House movie for May. Um, we've teased it. A little bit on Facebook, which is that we're having a schools out for summer theme. Um, that's the theme of the movie. It's gonna, you know, we know what it is. We just have to have it confirmed and everything. Make sure there's no hiccups. But it's gonna be five bucks. It's gonna be on uh, Monday, May 11th, and uh, we look forward to announcing that soon. All right, all right, all right. Wink, 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 wink. Okay. Anything else? Uh, you got any more um, giveaways? That's it. Uh, I think that's it for now. Oh, what do you want? That was a oh. lot. Uh, oh, see, oh. he's got something else. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're closing in on one year. We're getting pretty. Oh, yeah. I think we're like a, a little under a month away, or about a month away. Our first review was uh, Memorial Day weekend. Oh. Okay, it was when uh, X Men: Days of Future Past opened. That's right. Oh, see, they said they said we wouldn't last. I wonder how many podcasts uh, come and go in, in the year's time. Look, not only did they not say we wouldn't last, but nobody's ever said anything about this <laughs> show ever. So it's like it's like you know they they said nothing really. They told us we were finished. And... We've actually we've actually gotten a couple compliments before, and I got recognized as being part of Cinesnob when I was at uh, Alamo Draft House the other day. Some guy came out of the comic book store and was like, "Hey, Cinesnob." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." Then he threw a tomato at you. <laughs> yeah, he threw a rotten tomato at me. <laughs> he thought you were Kiko. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was gonna I was gonna say something at the film the San Antonio Filmmaker Showcase that I wasn't Kiko, so please <laughs> at least, please leave your pitchforks and torches at home. And your rotten vegetables. Yeah. Oh wait, sorry, tomatoes are fruit. Never it mind. is, it has seeds. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Look, hold on. It's a sins of fruit because, uh, yeah. So yeah, we're we, we're hoping to have a one year anniversary party. Yeah, uh, I really hope that that pans out for us. It should. We got it. We got a couple meetings to take. But, possibly uh, a possibly a live a live show live yeah, podcast. Maybe so. I don't know. Huh? We got a couple meetings to take this week. Oh yeah, stuff. we do. We we do have a couple. Yeah, you're right. Look at that crazy. crazy we're growing thing. rapidly. Well, maybe not rapidly, but you know, we're engorging. Yeah, we're definitely like engorged. We're definitely tumescent. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love that word. By the way. It means boner. Keep going. Yeah. I know. I got one right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too messing too. <laughs> I don't All, know, uh, All right. On that note, I'm Jerry Keary. I'm Cody Viafania. And I'm Kiko Martinez. Thank you for listening to this Cine Snob podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.